Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia, and your host for this evening. Uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, if you haven't been along for the ride, uh, we're going to continue our series with the happy face killer Keith Jesperson. My phone calls from him uh, from Oregon State Penitentiary on the Honor Award, believe it or not. I spoke a little bit about that before. Although he does have a killer's club in there. you got to have a couple bodies underneath to get and hang out in the killer's club, so to speak, um, which is kind of funny. Um, today uh, is number seven in his victim list, uh, Angel Sabriz. Um, he has eight total, and he wanted to do one episode. I think one time we did you know, two, uh, two victims per episode, a little bit shorter. Um, today, and today and our next episode, whenever I'm going to air that, uh, his eighth victim, uh, that will take up another full episode. Uh, and a lot of other fun stuff. Well, I won't say that fun stuff. <laughs> a lot of other stuff with Keith, you know, some some lighter side things. Uh, like I said, this is the lighter side of serial killers, though. And it, Keith goes into pretty graphic detail. Not too much of the light stuff today, although he does have a pretty dark sense of humor. Uh, so why don't we get into it? Uh, so here is part seven of the eight-part series with my conversation with the happy face killer himself, Keith Jesperson. We are all set up. All right. Well, you know, I was. Uh, we've talked about this case before. A little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Angela Sabrice case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we had talked about this. Uh, remember in January, uh, January 11th of 1995, um, this is when this case kind of got started. I was in Chicago at Castle Metals, uh, just north of Chicago, and Went to pick up a load one night there, and I got into a uh, an issue with the guy loading the truck, and then I ended up driving uh, uh, driving out of there without a load. And uh, the next morning, we had a a conference call between the the big bosses, and they gave me a load that went to Denver, and I picked up this load, and I was driving toward Denver for a Friday morning delivery, and then when I got to Sterling, Colorado, uh, my Left rear tire blew up and caught fire. And that was wow. on Friday the thirteenth at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, apparently, it was it was a, a mechanical error. Uh, the the truck had automatic slack adjusters on the brakes, and I had applied brakes back there towards Ogallala, uh, and it was uh, I, it slammed on pretty hard. It seemed like it was hesitant to get going again, so I think the brake seized up and. And about a mile or so before the rest area on uh, on I seventy six or towards Denver, it uh, it blew up, caught fire. And I I separated the unit, the trailer, and the and the truck. And the Sterling Fire Department came and put it out. Wow. And that's after all the tires melted away and the hoses. And and uh, I had to wait for another truck to come on, another guy to come over and pick up the trailer. And I hopped a ride with him and and. We made the delivery to Denver, but he had another delivery in in San Francisco to make off another drop, and he dropped me off in Las Vegas, and I picked up another load, another run with another uh, team drivers. They took me to Fontana, California, where I I got another truck and trailer and picked up a load of uh, coil steel for Spokane, Washington, and uh, 
I was to turn that truck in once the company was an older truck and they were just going to cycle it through and with Peterbilt. Now, when I got to Spokane and made my delivery, that was on a Thursday, the 19th of January. And my boss, uh, they had a, had a contract with the Ridpath Hotel there in Spokane. So anytime our, uh, the company drivers were held overnight, or servicing of the trucks or whatever, or, or, or to be hired on, they, they put us up in the Red Path Hotel. So they, they have a shuttle that comes from the, 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 the shop area out there towards Saney, Washington, and they drove us into Spokane, and they gave me room 425 that night. I went upstairs and got settled in. I came back down, and I was sitting in the bar, and I and I don't really drink, but I had a had a beer in front of me, and I was talking to the barmaid, and we were having a nice conversation. And I was watching, like here again, I'm watching people walk past us on the sidewalk, and I seen this gal walking with some suitcases and baggage, and she she came in the in the front door of the red path. She set the baggages down, and she she didn't check in. She just came into the bar and sat down. Well. I just went over and introduced myself to her and said, hi, how are you doing? I noticed you didn't check in. Uh, um, if you're not going to check in, uh, maybe you want to check in with me. And I got, I told her, <laughs> I, I, just was straight, I was straightforward. I mean, this, yeah, I, was gonna, yeah. I treated, I treated <laughs> women like they want to be treated. I, I was straight to the, right to the point. And mm-hmm. I said, I have a room. The boss set me up in a room. Uh, the bed's big enough for both of us. We don't have to. We're not. We're, we don't have to get physical or anything like that. We just spent a night together, kind of thing. Well, she figured out the best offer she had all night or all day. So I took her up to room four twenty-five. We settled in there, and I went. We came back down, went across the street to a pizza place, and grabbed a a, a large pizza and a twelve rack of beer. And we went back to the motel, well, the hotel, I should say, and then we. I asked her what she do for a living. She's a, she was a exotic dancer. So you can imagine the exotic dancing we had going on up there in room 425. Um, we, we went into the shower together and we came out together and we were, you know, like, you know, like a couple snakes wrapped around each other all night. And then come about six in the morning to the wake up call and I got, and, and I got this wake up call and, I really wanted to see her again. I really did. She, we got along really good. And uh, I just thought there's just a connection there other than the sexual and everything else that was going on that night. But um, I left her some money for a breakfast, and I, gave, I have uh, I written out how she could contact me through my boss on the phone system. And I just left it there, and I left. And uh, I got my on the shuttle van, and they took me back over to our, our shop. And what I was going to do that morning, on the on the morning of the 20th, was I was going to get a ride with another driver that was going to drive me back to Denver so I could pick up the truck that was now fixed after it burned up, right? So I'm, I, I rode with this guy all the way to Park City, Montana, and then, then I took over driving, and the next morning, when I woke the guy up, we were in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and then we only had like 90 miles more to go to get to Denver. And when we called in, my boss says Angela had called and that she wants to talk to me and she left the phone number. 
I thought, wow, this is great. I'm going to have my, she's a new girlfriend kind of thing. This is the way I looked at it. And so I was, I tried to make a phone call. I couldn't get through. So I figured out oh, what the hell I'll try later. Well, we get to Denver and I get my truck and I go over to the truck, st- uh, to a truck stop where another empty trailer was. The same empty trailer that the other driver that hooked onto my other load and took to Denver for me. Uh, I grabbed an empty trailer and I was given a load. I had to go to Pueblo, Colorado, pick up a load of railroad rail for Seattle. And uh, I I tried to call again to get a hold of that number for Angela, and I couldn't. And then I went, I drove back north, got to Cheyenne. When I got to the to the flying J of Cheyenne, I called again and I got a hold of her. She was complaining about Spokane. She didn't want to be in Spokane, and asked if I could if she would she could get a ride with me out on the truck to get the hell out of Spokane. I said, well, I said. I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming right now, right? I mean, I can't just pop up this Spokane right now. And she said, well, my dad lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, can you at least give me a ride to Fort Collins, Colorado? And I said, well, I guess I guess I could. Um, but, you know, where are you at? And I got her directions where she is. Now, I'll be there probably about 1 o'clock Monday morning. She was like, Monday morning? I said, I, what about tonight? I said, listen, I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Yeah. I can't be in Spokane <laughs> by 1 o'clock tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, if I drive all the way straight through, it's going to be, you know, 1 o'clock Monday morning. And I, and I had like a 9 o'clock in the morning Seattle delivery time. So I was going to drive straight through anyways, what I was going to end up doing. I said, well... So I got instructions on how to find a place where she was staying. She basically shacked up with some other guy that, you know, she had, she got a, a room or something where she could just get off the, off the street. And it was his number and it was their number. There was a couple guys that had the place. So I get, I get their, their, their directions how to get to the place. And about 1230 Monday morning, I pull in and I, and I go up there and knock on the door and she comes out and we get in the truck and we head over to Seattle. At about nine o'clock, I make my delivery in Seattle, and then I call the boss, and the boss has a load of cedar I had to pick up over in Kent, um, Washington, and it was going to go to Pennsylvania. And I went over and picked that up. We tarped it, and we headed back east there on I ninety, and uh, that was the basic of the whole whole thing. Is that you know we're we're half this kind of a relationship on the road mm-hmm. and uh it was uh i just thought it was like boyfriend girlfriend kind of thing that's what was going to sure. happen mm-hmm. on the way i i told her i'd give her safe passage to fort collins colorado i told her that trucking and i cannot have her in the truck with me all the time because of the snitch policy that they had so for the next five days basically she was in the truck with me as I was driving east, according to my logbook, allowing my logbook to allow me to drive so much time each day. And uh, when I got to Fort Bridger, Wyoming, um, I asked her, I said, well, does your father even know that we're coming? And she said, well, I, I don't know. I don't think so. And I said, well, why don't I call your dad for you and you talk to him? So I used my credit card number, my AT&T credit card number, and uh, 
called on, you know, I wouldn't let her have my number. No goddamn way I was going to let her have my number. <laughs> but I, 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 I dialed the number and everything, and I handed the receiver the phone to her, and she talked to her dad. They had an argument or something. It was a heated argument. And then that night we slept there at, at, at um, Fort Bridger. Then we continued on the next morning in, in a blizzard, snow blizzard. And uh, we got to Sinclair, and I asked her again. I said, well, maybe your dad calmed down now. And they will, well, because when I was going to get to Laramie, I was going to drop down on Highway 30 to go to Fort Straight into Fort Collins. And uh, so I, I called again to her dad on the phone, and, and uh, they talked for a little bit. And then right after they hung up, she asked me, well, can I make another phone call? I said, well, who are you going to call now? She had an old boyfriend that was in Indianapolis, Indiana, she wanted to talk to. I said, well, uh, I guess. So I, I give me the number, and I dial it out. I use my credit card, and off, off to go see. She talks to this guy, and uh, now everything's set. She's no longer wanting to go to Fort Collins to see her dad. Now she wants to go to Indianapolis, Indiana of course. to see this other guy. <laughs> of course. So... I'm being like a taxi, you know, I'm being taxied around. Now, even though every night she's crawling in bed with me and we're we're enjoying the boyfriend-girlfriend thing, everything's okay, but all of a sudden now she's in a hurry now to get to Indiana. And I was going like, why are you in such a big hurry to get to Indiana? And she was like, well, because I'm pregnant and I want to see my boyfriend when I get there so that, uh, he's always wanted to marry me kind of a thing, and maybe if we can get married, then the first one can come anytime. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, we've been together for a week, we've been betting each other for this time, why haven't you brought this up before, like your... And she said, well, she had, she had her motives or other things, but I said, well, you know, I'm going to take you to Fort Collins. That's what I'm going to do. I told you that's what I'm going to do, but I can't, I'm not going to go any further than that with you. I mean, this is, this is the deal we made. You're going to, we're going to take your Fort Collins. I can't take you any further. Well, we get the, we get the Laramie and, and of course I said, we can go down south here. And she said, no, no, I'm going to head this way. And I said, well, you need to find yourself another ride. Well, she stayed maintained with me until we got to Highway 25, which we would be headed down south. We still make it to Fort Collins. And of course, I said to her at that point, so we really need to, you need to make the decision. She kept on, well, can't you just kind of like get me to Indiana? And I said, well, <laughs> I suppose, but I really hope you'd get another ride somewhere uh, because my logbook was, I was overlogged. I mean, I couldn't, you know, legally, I couldn't have gone past, I shouldn't have been past Laramie because I, I was out of hours. But that doesn't matter. I, I've driven illegal before, and murder is just a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, we headed headed over toward Nebraska, and I hit a path to dry ice there at mile marker 5859 on I-80 in Nebraska, and there's a rest area in there. And I pulled, and I kind of straightened up the truck, and I pulled right up into the rest area and parked. And I was just sitting there, and I was like, you know, this is this is bullshit. I don't need to be in this big hurry going across this. But she seemed to be in a big hurry. And I just didn't want to get in this big argument with her. I said, we have to park it here. The weather's not good. The road's not good. Let's just park it here for a while. 
And we were there for probably three or four hours. And uh, then she was very impatient. She wanted to hurry up and get going. And she got physical with me a little bit, kind of pushed on me a little bit. And I said, you know what? I've had enough mm-hmm. of this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like Maxwell's silver hammer came down upon her head, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she died. <laughs> I was, I said, this is bullshit. I don't need, to, don't need this. I promised I'd get her for Collins, but she didn't want to go there. She wanted to continue on. And, and I didn't like her story. I just thought that it was just bullshit anyway. She was just trying to push the narrative. I figured that once we got to Indianapolis, she'd she'd make up another excuse to keep going. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to end end the whole uh, whole trip right at that point. So at the at the rest area in Nebraska, mile marker fifty eight, fifty nine, right there. That's where I killed her. And then I start thinking about wait a minute. I called her dad on on. Used my credit card. I was just going to say, yeah. You know, yeah. I had. Well, it wasn't my dad. It wasn't my credit card. I mean, it was my father's credit card. Oh, gotcha. It's like seven two eight one seven two zero three nine six twenty two twenty two. That's that's the that's the number for AT and T credit card for my dad. Anyway, that's a good memory. I figured <laughs> that's a good memory right there. <laughs> I figured they would if they found out if she found her body somewhere. This is like goes down your narrative of. I would really have to hide her body, right? I'd have to dig a hole and put her in a hole so no one would find her because I don't want anyone to find her because I got my phone numbers attached to her body, right? In other words. Exactly. They would they mm-hmm. backtrack and they go like, well, who's this guy? Who's this number yeah. uh, with credit card number? And then they'd come back to my dad and my dad would say, well, that's my son has that. And next thing you know, I'd be arrested, you know, all that kind of shit. So I had to come up with a plan here. So, I after after the murder I, I drove um east of ways and there was an exit up there where a Cabela's uh there's a big Cabela store. And there was also either a Burger King or McDonald's or both. One of the two, I think maybe both. I pulled in there and I went in and I grabbed a, I bought a couple of hamburgers and I brought back out and I was eating it out there in the truck and I was comically looking back over at her dead body lane. I said and if you hadn't been so damn pushy, you could have had one of these burgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And, and, and so I was talking to the corpse. I was like, "This, you could have had some of this if you hadn't been so goddamn pushy. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I got done eating, and then I headed. I was trying to think, now, wait a minute. I thought, you know, I, I, while I was eating, I thought, wait a minute. I've I, I seen a movie where this guy had tied a, a, a leash to a dog, of a dog to a, a trailer hitch on a car. And I thought, man, it, I remember this cop pulling this guy over. And he said he talked about how the little dog ran as fast as it could until it couldn't run anymore. Then he dragged it until there's nothing left of it. I said maybe I could do that with her. So I drove up to uh, the the rest area at mile marker 198, and I pulled in away from all the lights. I parked there and I uh, started tying her uh, rope around her ankles a loop, like a seven-foot loop there, each end on, on, on the, each ankle. Then I went underneath the trailer, and I envisioned where the body would ride between the tires, between the axles there of the, tire, of the trailer. And I tied a rope there ready for me to put this. You know, the, the problem with the systems Peterbilt had is that the, 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 the sleeper didn't have a door on the passenger side, so everything had to come off of the driver's side. So I had to re 
pull her out of the of the driver's side of the cab off the off the sleeper. When I did, I just pulled her out on the ground. I went game flooded right on there and just slammed on the ground. Then I grabbed her and, and dragged her back underneath the truck and tied the rope onto the loop on her ankles and I taped up her her hands so that they'd ride in front of her. So I laid her to a point where she drive she be pulled backwards and her hands would be the first to go. In other words, uh, the, the the hands would grind down, the, the fingerprints and everything would be gone, and then her face would grind off, and then uh, her body cavity would empty out, and then hopefully everything would disappear is what I thought would happen. Mm-hmm. And when and at late at night, about 2 or 3 in the morning in Nebraska, uh, the, the cars and trucks would cluster up into groups about every, about three miles apart, each one. So they'd be traveling at about 70, 75 miles an hour, and they'd be all clustered up. Now, my truck would only do about 63, 64 miles an hour tops. It was governed to that, and so I could never get any faster than that. Well, I pulled, once I saw a cluster coming, I, they started to come by, and I pulled out behind them, and, I, and then I turned my lights on, and I pulled in. Now, they drove away from me, and then I had to, I figured that when the next cluster would catch me, that's when I'd pull over the side of the road and get rid of the, what's left of the body, and that took 12 miles. So at mile marker 210 on Interstate 80 in Nebraska, the other cluster of vehicles were catching me, and I turned my signal on, went to the shoulder, and they passed me really quick, and a couple of truckers asked me what the problem was. I said, I just got to take care of something here. I you know, I got to lose a little bit of weight, you know, and, and they, they they thought I meant to have to pull over and take a pee. Yeah. But, in fact, I was going to yeah. cut the rope and get rid of some excess body weight. Mm-hmm. And I dragged the, what was left of her onto to the, uh, the the shoulder of the road. And there's some tall grass or about a foot and a half high, which covered the body. And, if, and the body was never found for about, you know, about eight months after I was already arrested later on, and I was able to tell someone where to go to find it. But um, when I drove off from there and I went up to um, uh, another truck stop, and I, I sat there for a while, and then I drove down to, um, I went over to Lincoln City, Nebraska, and I dropped down 35 to Kansas City, and then I logged my logbook as, as if I'd went to Fort Collins, and Denver and crossed on 70. So my logbook had me uh, on another road instead of I-80 where the body had been. Oh, uh, okay. Uh-huh. And and then I got rid of all of her 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 clothing and everything at the truck stop and fueled up at, at a different time and so that everything was lined up uh, accordingly so that I wasn't even there. And then uh, now the body was found at, Let's say eight months later, after I was arrested uh, in in March of, of '95, I made a deal with a, a jailhouse informant named Ken Montsabrodden. And when I was trying to get information smuggled out to go public to say I was the happy face killer, but anyway, to go back on this case here, uh, Wyoming got involved in this, and when I when I made the deal with the jailhouse snitch, I changed the Nebraska case to a Wyoming case and because uh, Jerry Spence, he, the, the, the informant 
told me about Jerry Spence, the famous lawyer, was out of Wyoming. And so, even though I had told my lawyer in May of, of 1995 that that uh, Andrew Sabreeze had been murdered in in Nebraska, uh, we had changed that. I changed it over to a Wyoming case only for um, the deal with the jailhouse informant, knowing full well that I could, once I got to Wyoming in the case. I could make this go away. Now, uh, while I was in custody, I, I, I got on national TV and told the governor, James Geringer of Wyoming, that he was an idiot. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. case yeah. politically. Mm-hmm. And he did what all politic people do is they get stupid. And he, got, and he did make it political. And he got on national TV and he was asked the question, what about Jefferson? And he said, uh, I'm going to bring Mr. Jefferson to my fair, my, my fine state. I'm going to give him a fair trial and then I'm going to kill the bastard. And that's what he said on national TV, which meant that he destroyed a fair trial of any sort. And I could have, I could have gone for a change of venue and everything else in that case. But, um, there's a, there's a whole lot of things happening when I was arrested. I was doing a Dateline show that aired on January seventh, nineteen ninety eight, while I was in Wyoming. But the one of the one of the real kickers here was that when they did take me to Wyoming to, to settle the case, uh, the, the round trip airfare and everything that the that Con Air, the federal government, charged Wyoming for this service was one hundred and thirty six thousand dollars. To have wow. me taken from Oregon huh. to Wyoming and back. Wow! In a six-month period, that's what they charged the taxpayers: one hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars to transport me mm. by Con Air, which was kind of crazy. It's nuts. It's just ludicrous. But they they had got me there, and they ended up giving me twenty-five to life, running in, you know uh, consecutive to my other life sentences. So I have that running back to back to back, you know, everything that's running back to back. Uh, but the uh, one of the funny thing when when the Dateline show aired on the seventh of ninety eight, uh, it was called True Lies, and basically is making me out to be a liar. And I told uh, one of the guards asked me what's it like to be known as a liar, and I said feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, would you rather be a liar or a murderer?" And he had to think about that for a minute. He said, man, I, I see your point. Because I, I forced them. I forced, Basically what I was trying to do is, is, is prove that the jailhouse informant has lied to make it a Wyoming case. And that's what has happened. And when I, when I went in front of the judge in June of, of 98, uh, I brought it out. I said, no, the murder actually happened in Nebraska. It never happened in Wyoming. The only reason I'm in, in Wyoming is because of jailhouse informant. And that's why I was there. Now, mm-hmm. I told, the, the, I told the, the judge, it doesn't matter where I'm settling the case, just as long as the case is settled. And so that's why it gave me 25 life. But initially, Wyoming wanted to give me the death penalty. And I had taken a polygraph test back in January 12th of 96 that the Wyoming had come in and, and wanted, they asked me whether I'd raped uh, Angela or not, or had I been truthful to the police. And I passed the lie detector test saying I did not rape her and, I was, and that I had been truthful to the police. And uh, they were all pissed off because they were hoping it was the other way around. 
because sure. they wanted mm-hmm. to use that against me. Sure. But the, every, every, all the sex I ever had with Angela was all consent. We, we just, it, we're a boyfriend-girlfriend for a week. Mm-hmm. It was just the way it was. Sure. It only changed when she changed her her destination. I just felt she just was uh, pushing pushing it too far. Do we know if she was even pregnant at all, or if she would just make that story up? I, I think that I think that was a story. I think that was just her story, trying to get me to to take her to this guy, and I I didn't think it was a good story because she never mentioned anything about being pregnant at all in the week previous when we were laying there in bed up there at the Ridfast hotel she wasn't talking about how pregnant she was she was just it was just everything was maybe she was thinking about getting pregnant i don't know yeah i think i was trying yeah. my best to make her pregnant yeah but <laughs> <laughs> yeah now was there but, when you uh, said uh you, that you moved her body untied or moved it what actually was left i mean was there anything how much was actually left of it i'm sure the the road took the majority of it well out. it you know, like I said before, it's a surefire weight loss plan. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where, you know, you're going to lose weight being ground down on the highway. But basically what was left was from the ears forward on her face was gone. Um, her hands and arms were gone. Her chest cavity had been stripped of all the intestinal tract. So she had lost probably 60% of her weight. Mm, okay. And so, you know, she was started off, I bet she probably weighed 125, 130. And when uh, we got done after 12 miles, I think she was probably 45 pounds left, 50 mm-hmm. pounds. No, it seems the first Something ones, like that. The other ones are basically just strangled and taken away. This is kind of more the gruesome style, like you're actually seeing the blood and guts. I mean, did that freak you out at all? You didn't really have an emotional attachment? Well, no, it was dark. It was dark. Uh, I, okay. I saw it, but it was mm-hmm. just dark. But, you know, they eventually identified her, and it was only because of a pin she had in her hip. She broke her yeah. hip when she was 12 years old, and there was a pin in her hip that had a serial number on it. That's how they identified her. Mm, okay. They, mm-hmm. they didn't identify with DNA or anything else or the fact that I put her there. They, they identified her with the, the serial number on the pin. Now, her father said that, uh, I, I sure would, I'd like to see Mr. Jesperson in a dark alley sometime and then use a, use a a club on me or something mm. and i i commented back and says why would it have to be dark yeah <laughs> there's an argument there that um you know the wyoming the uh the prosecutor said i don't play fair um in the legal system that i pushed uh, a certain narrative along and and i forced you know with the jailhouse informant i pushed that line and of course when i got a hold of the governor and i i, I Literally made a political statement, and he made a political back, and he was he was trying to get reelected, and he and the prosecutor basically told the governor, "Man, you ruined our fair trial by getting involved." And and this is this it, it just was a a combination of a lot of things that happened, and so within ten days of, of the Dateline show coming on, uh, they were on my ass trying to get me to take a deal and go home. They said they were going to kill me and everything like that. And uh, now in March, on March, uh, about March 5th of 98, um, that was the date that Wyoming was supposed to go public and, and actually uh, go after the death penalty. And 
a few days before that, I was in front of the judge in the judge's chambers with the prosecutor, my lawyer, and everybody, and we were discussing the case. I said, you know, Your Honor, I'll never do a day of this time anyway because I'll I'll die in Oregon's prison system because I'll I'll be 108 years old when I'm yeah. in Oregon yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. So I'll never do a day of this time. Why don't you just give me manslaughter and just cut me loose, right? Send me back to Oregon. I said, he said, I can't do that. Um, I told the prosecutor, I said to the prosecutor, I said, listen, I said, you want, you want to give me aggravated murder? You damn right I was aggravated when this thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I want you to do is drop the word aggravated and I'll sign right now. And he said, no, I can't drop the word aggravated. I got to leave that on there. I said, I don't know what for. Because this is this is going to be a life sentence. No matter what it is, it's going to be a life sentence. And he says, well, okay, but will you take a deal? I said, I'll tell you what. I'll take a deal. I'll take the life sentence five days from now, right? That after you've had to confirm that you're going after the death penalty, then I'll take a life sentence in, 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 in court. And he said, well, it sounds like we're at a deadlock. We're not going to do this. So... They we adjourned this and we put that off and we're gonna and they they went public and said we're going after the death penalty blah blah blah. Well, in June of of '98, that's when I said you know I've been here like six months. I I sent my lawyer over to the prosecutor. And I said okay, this is the deal. Uh, I'll take the uh, tw- I'll take the 25 to life running consecutive to all the other sets, and I'll just plead guilty. In the morning, right? And so they they sent word back over that they will do that, only that I would have to commit myself to the murder before they drop the the death sentence off or whatever it was. And I said, well, that's fine. But I told, when, when we were walking over there the next morning, I told the uh, guards around me, I said, yes, watch. I said, there's not going to be any press there. And he said, why do you think that? And I said, well... I told all the jailhouse stitches that were in the in the room with me. I said, "You just wait. I'm they're going to offer me a deal, and I'm going to I'm going to wait till I get in the court, and I'm going to tell them to stick that deal up their ass, right? Uh, yeah. And they're going to be in front of all the press, and they're going to be all upset over this. This is going to be a big thing. Well, I knew they would tell them, and they, they were wary of this, so they they never brought never called the press. They had no press there, nobody. So when I showed up, there was a Myself and my my lawyer, my investigator, and the prosecutor, third string prosecutor, not even the uh, King Tristani was the head prosecutor. Johnny For Forwood was the second prosecutor, and this other third guy, I don't know who he was, but he showed up. The other two guys weren't even there, and the judge and the and the and the uh, court reporter and the bailiff. That was it. That was it. And the guards surrounded me, so we started in on this 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 deal. And I told him how the murder happened in Nebraska, and it wasn't even a, a Wyoming case and all this. And we brought this all up. And, and my lawyer was looking at me, how did you know there was no pressure? And I told him later, I said, this guy told the snitches that I was going to tell them to stick it up their ass. And that's why they didn't bring the press involved. Right? <laughs> that's hysterical. Now, when we settled the deal that day, and then I, they took me back. Now, I was the orderly in D-Block in the county jail. So I had... I had access to the phone and everything, so I, I called up the Wyoming Tribune newspaper, 
and I had just, they, they pick up the phone like right now, right? And so he called me and said, what are we going to do today, Mr. Jesperson? I said, well, I was just in court. We settled the case, and now I'm headed back to Oregon, right? And he said, well, wait, why weren't we called? And I said, it's not my job to call you guys. <laughs> it's for this, you, yeah. this prosecutor's supposed to call you. He knew this yesterday. Yeah. He's supposed to call you, and that's why, that's why nobody was there. There was nobody there. It's a secret, right? So they were like all pissed off over that. So the, the, the whole thing there. So within a week, uh, the feds were there to pick me up in a car, and they drove me down to uh, Colorado Springs for a few days. And then after that, they took me down to Pueblo, where they put me back on Con Air 737, flew me to Oklahoma City. I spent two weeks there, and then they flew me to Boeing Field up in Seattle, and they bust me down to Sheridan which is in Oregon, and then I spent a night there, and then they brought me back over here. And then they took me up to Clackamas, where I spent two more weeks in the hole up there to, to do the rest of my whole time for lying to the staff about the uh, Jack Krasinski case that I didn't wasn't involved in that, set, that I said I was in the news. So there's a whole lot of things going on at the time when I was arrested, which we'll get into at a later time here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a, that was the big deal on on the Wyoming case is that there's so much involved in this, and I got you know basically got a 25 to life. I'll never see the time on, but it costs just 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 in Con Air just it was 136,000 round trip on Con Air alone to Wyoming to give me what nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, like they said, they, I don't play fair because I I manipulate the system, and I said I've only manipulated. As much as they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Now, you said from her, it's the same type of murder, you know, same type of strangulation as all the other ones, no different than any other ones? Yeah, it's just, it's the same, same thing, same, same strangulation. Uh, one of the things that she did say that you, uh, before I was doing, right by the time I was doing it, uh, she, she, one of the things we had talked about when we first met that I promised her I would never hurt her. When, when, when I first met her, I said, don't worry about it, I'll never hurt you, right, like mm-hmm. that. I promised her I would never hurt her. And when I was killing her, I said, well, this is not hurting you, this is killing you. Oh, jeez. Yeah. You know, technically. Not, I mean, I, 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 I promised her to I'd get her to Fort Collins, Colorado. And when she decided she didn't want to go to Fort Collins and, and wanted to keep going, that's when I, you know, I, 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 I had made kind of a contract with her. I figured, this is this is my deal. I will get you face safe back to the four cones. And the moment that we got there and passed her, I said, "Well, you're, you're all better off, right?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I just felt this is you know, this is the end. This is a, but you know, this is this goes down the same path. He said, uh, "I didn't put much merit to death. I mean, to life or anything. I just I basically just uh, did what I wanted to do, and then that's what I did." Mm-hmm. Well, you think you've had it's that kind of crazy. I was just going to say, do you think you've had that inside of you your whole life where even like younger, you know, when maybe a teenagers, you know, were messing with you or something, you had the ability inside of you of, you know, kind of like, I can end you right now. You know, I'm not going to, but, or when do you, when did you realize you actually had that? Was it during the first murder or even before that you really had the uh, inside of you? Like I could do this. You do know that, right? Or even in your own mind, you know, with someone who pissed you off when you were younger, or, or how young were you, or how old were you, or was it during the first well, I murder? Had, 
when my when my father was involved in a hit and run and he'd gotten away with it, I, I thought about it then. I thought, you know, this, mm-hmm. he's gotten away with this. I mean, mm-hmm. what what more is there? What what could I do? I mean, I've watched a lot of different shows in, in my life and and there's a lot of there's a lot of violence on T V. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of things going on and what really always got me was that, you know, strangulation was gonna take ten seconds. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that's what it is on T V. Yeah. But it's it takes four minutes in real life. When I first killed the first time when I killed Bennett and it, it took so long, it was it was um uh an educational moment in murder. Yeah, sure. You don't mm-hmm. it, it's something that I never thought took so long. I never, I was never realized. I thought that it was going to be over and get the heartbeat bang done, and then, then it, 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 I found out that it took such more longer in time to deal with it. Um, sure. And getting mm-hmm. getting past all that was the fact that they arrested the two people for the murder, and they didn't even come after me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that time, I was going like, man, I can do this, but do I really want to keep on doing this? I mean, there's that question that just kept gnawing at me. I'd gotten away with the murder, and yet, you know, two and a half years later, after you know, I dealt with that uh, Don Slagle issue, uh, and, and had been arrested several times over a misdemeanor and a felony assault that got eventually got dismissed, I was like, if I ever got into an issue with any gal or whatever, I'm not going to let it go that far. It's just mm-hmm. that that was my turning point sure. of dealing with. That's the way I looked at things. I was that's how I was going to deal with it from then on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. And that's about the time I was, you know, like I'm thirty years old, thirty thirty uh, thirty five years old when I realized that um, murder wasn't the hard part. It was getting away with it. it was the other part. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, actually getting rid of the body to where you weren't seen. There's a lot more went into that than than the murder itself. As long as, as long as nobody saw you killing anybody, there's no big deal on that. But as far as getting away with it, it's another thing. Especially in our present time now, there's like cameras everywhere, and it's technology has advanced well, so much. This is, this is the problem here. You imagine you know, Ted Bundy can't do this now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have got caught the first time yeah. walking the girl <laughs> home. There would have been cameras everywhere. Exactly. Yep. When he was driving his Volkswagen around, people would have taken pictures of him and his cast feeling sorry for him. Everyone would have had a selfie with him. <laughs> exactly. You know, this, this the yep. whole system doesn't work work like it used to. This is I murdered back in the nineties. We didn't have cell phones back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, we they were just starting to come around. They looked like walkie talkies. They were just um and you know, they just they had pay phones on every street corner. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, don't even true. have pay phones anymore. Very few. No video cameras on almost every red light, so they can go back and yeah, trace. you've got you've got mm-hmm. facial recognition on everything. <laughs> exactly. You, I, I remember going to casinos, going down to. I, I played a lot of live casino and stuff, and they have cameras in casinos and stuff like that. Oh, everywhere. That's, that's covered in that. That's yep. what it is now on every street corner. Mm-hmm. So even if I mean, you either to... walked into a casino and they knew who I was, but even now there's mm-hmm. facial recognition now to yeah. a point where you walk into a casino now, they know you're a criminal. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like even they, if you it to... pops up right on their screen. Oh, yeah. this guy was convicted back mm-hmm. there, blah, blah, blah. You, know, you can't hide from it. Even if you 
took somebody on the beach or took somebody deep into the woods, well, there's cameras leading to the road that leads you to the woods. You know, they can backtrack yeah. pretty much everything. Every cell phone has GPS. You've got hunters up there with, with trail cams looking for deer. Yeah, that's true, too. Definitely you, you true. You imagine going up there, you're digging, a, you're digging a damn grave, and there's a damn trail camera. Look what the the new uh, Dexter mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. That's how yeah. they caught them. They had a trail cam yeah. caught them. And it's nighttime vision on a lot of those things, too, so you can actually can see at night. Yeah. They have this all the stuff there where they, that's how they got the Dexter how they caught Dexter on that uh, that new series on season nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was a yeah. that was a stupid way to go, but that's the way it went. But, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the ending. Yeah, I mean, Apparently, going to re- going to redo the series again, either but, taking him from a childhood or, or continuing on from um, with his son. But I think they're going back to when Dexter was a child and, and doing a series with that. So we'll see how that is. Yeah. But you know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't fathom it doing now. Matter of fact, one of the big controlling factors, if I was ever to get paroled out of this place, I mean, seriously, if that ever were to happen, I would have, I'm, I'd be walking a very tight line because yeah. mm-hmm. I would know there's cameras everywhere. Sure, I would know everybody had a camera, and there's no more money out there. Yeah. You know, if you're gonna if mm-hmm. you're gonna if you're gonna go hijack a car, you better hope it's got a full tank of gas. It's true. It's true. Because yeah. if, if they don't have a full tank of gas, and and if it doesn't have a lockdown to where they they call in uh, whatever the OnStar or something like that, and they shut the damn car off, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to steal an old car. <laughs> and it's not even it's not just so much the car also, but it's your phone. I mean, including myself, I'm doing something on my phone. Probably every 15, 20 minutes, if not less, checking email, checking social media from from all aspects of what I do for a living. That's a trail. You know, something's well, they, pinging off a tower or for your Wi-Fi, your GPS on the phone. So you have timestamps yeah. constantly. So I went to a hospital here, you know, a month ago because I had a UTI. I went there and they, they, they took me there to flush my system out. The cops... The guards that are watching over me are on their cell phone. Yeah, guaranteed. All the time. Yeah. The only time they come off it is when I, I pass out, look like I'm dying. Then, of course, they, they think we got to take notes so we have to write out a report, and they don't want to have to write out a report. But everybody has a cell phone. Everybody's oh, yeah. clicking on these damn things. And you look yep. at the nurses and everybody. What the hell? They don't get any work done. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're on these damn phones yep. all the time. Same out here. That's what happens yep. in the guards in here. Every, every guard in here has got a, they got a computer in front of them. And if they don't have a computer in front of them, they got their cell phone out and they're clicking yep. away at it. Yeah. And at home, you bring This is the ridiculous part. Yeah. You know, we can't, a criminal nowadays that gets that pearls out after 20, 30 years, what a culture shock that is. Look at it. Oh, we yeah. we come in. There was no cell phone. Now we come out, and there's cell phones. There's there's there's, there's you know burner phones. There's all these other things yeah. that we can get. <laughs> exactly. I don't. You yeah. know, we have a tablet in here, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to use a tablet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm lost. I go like, how do I how do I work this damn thing? Yeah. Definitely. Because I'm a you know I I'm culture shocked because I my kids I the kids out there that are five years old know how to use these damn things, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, some of them still know how to do it better than us. You know, the youth today yeah. and the games and the phones, they're, they're, 
someone better than myself for sure. But yeah, it's it'll be a culture shock for sure. I mean, just with the phone itself. Sure. Just the phone itself would blow you away because everything you yeah. need from Google to writing to watching movies to email, every GPS, everything is on the phone. You don't need anything but the phone. <laughs> That's basically all you need now. And of course, I would be going like, uh, if I, if let's say I got out and I, and I went fishing, I'd have to look over my back all the time thinking they got me on GPS. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that satellite up there is taking my picture. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I mean, even you know, with, you're thinking about yeah. the, the cameras up above me going to take my picture. You go like, wow. There is something called Google Earth. Like if I, uh, yeah. if I pinpoint, if I Google my house address, you can get the satellite yeah. image from above. You can zoom down the satellites to know well, where you're at, where your phone's at. Um, there's cars run around for Google with cameras. They're taking 360 pictures all the way around. So when I hit a GPS address, yeah. hey, I want to go to so-and-so's address. Not only does it show you yeah. the route. I've seen it. You can. You, I, I, I watched, it's amazing. I watched a, car, a car bring this up, a, a street address. <laughs> he brought up a street address and, and had a, a train crossing the street, and he had every angle that like i walked underneath the train track yeah exactly it's like you're you can walk there you can change direction you go forward backward turn around go the other way it's amazing amazing where's this camera at right now you swear to god there's a camera falling you right on your shoulder watching you every move now the funny thing is who you are you're walking it's crazy it's funny because you know when it's google because it has this big camera that spins around well the funny thing to do now is when you see that camera going now, usually a bunch of kids do it. Um, they'll pretend they're dead. Like, they'll fall down in the middle of the road, like on the sidewalk, like in a dead position. Because knowing forever, at least the least couple of years, they're going to be pictured. If you're second somebody's address, you see this dead guy you know, standing on the sidewalk because it's no one's capturing your picture going around. So you go on all these addresses, you see yeah. all these dead people on the side of the road like zombies. That's hysterical. But, yeah, technology is absolutely amazing. It's amazing. So. So I guess the question comes up, if you have a body to get rid of, what do you do now? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you've got to put it somewhere. I mean, uh, you're going to have to do like uh, Dexter, take it out on a boat and throw it in the ocean, I guess. That's, yeah, that's, the mobsters have been doing that for years. I mean, that's that's pretty much the way. Tie weight to them and throw them overboard. You know, somewhere where it's... Yeah, but you have to get them to the boat first. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, there's cameras all over the marinas now. But there's just so much that you'd have to deal with. Uh, That's what... That was my biggest... That's when you... When I watch the news now and I watch how uh, everyone's... You're getting caught. And that's how they're getting caught. Mm -hmm. You see the car going by. They got different... They got different pictures from different buildings of the car going by, the one that's carrying the body. Yep. Definitely. That's what they're looking for. That's, but I get it, it's crazy to look at those shows like Core TV and and True Crime Network because it's disheartening to watch how how it's gotten developed. Yeah, or like the guy Chris Watts that killed his wife and his children. Um, they got him on the the doorbell cameras, the security cameras from other people's houses and across the street, and because every time it detects motion, yeah. it turns on. Well, he's like, well, I know, he's my friend, he's my neighbor. He doesn't back his truck up that way into the garage. He doesn't do anything that late. He doesn't take his tools out like he said he was doing. You know, this is not normal. That's just luck of the draw. You know, you set the motion sensor yeah. off, and it was recorded. Well, like I said, it, it, when I did the Bennett thing, the first thing I did was hide behind the curtain and look outside to see if 
anybody was watching their sure, dog of course, or of right? course, definitely. But now I would have to worry about whether the neighbor has a camera pointed at my house. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I would have to pull my car into the driveway and then get it taken care of. Hopefully, there's no there's no GPS on the car that's going to follow me everywhere. And if I have a cell phone, I got to leave that phone somewhere because I can't yeah. take it with me. Exactly, that's going to track me wherever I go. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because all the all the cell towers, all the cell towers will tell you where you are. So there's you, you watch Yellowstone, and and mm-hmm. this guy has this. They killed this this woman in in, in, a, in a kayak, right? Yeah. Just give me your phone. He breaks the phone and throws it in the river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Well, you have to go buy himself another phone. Well, mm-hmm. you know. All all the Yellowstone is a bunch of serial killers out there, cowboy serial killers. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. They have the They're train station, right? They take, they can, they take them out yeah. to the train yeah, station. Yeah, take them to the train station. That's just the place they're throwing the bodies at. Yeah, yeah. In Wyoming, of all places. <laughs> Do they even have, there's a website where you can buy hats and T-shirts. And the most popular one is take them to the train station. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, they're taking them out to the train station, which is in a, a county in Wyoming. That's funny. That I have a life sentence in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That I didn't, <laughs> exactly. kill, anybody. I didn't yeah. kill anybody in Wyoming, yet I have a life sentence for a murder that supposedly has happened somewhere yeah. else. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Crazy and that's time. how the system works. All right. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, part seven uh, with my interview with the happy face killer, Keith Jesperson. Um it's funny. It's such a dark and twisted <laughs> sense of humor. Sometimes I even find myself, and you, know, you can hear me laughing along because some of the things he says at the time, it's funny. You know, the weight loss program, oh, a surefire weight loss program by dragging a body underneath their truck. And then you think about it. Like, what did, what did he say? You know, you laugh and you do. I mean, everybody said it, and I've been on a, um, a podcast actually last night. This is a, um, taped a couple days earlier. Um, a friend of mine. I uh, asked me to see if I can get Keith on his podcast, and Keith agreed. We had a great two-hour conversation with him. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and um, he said the same thing, you know, about the Surefire Weight Loss Program. And those guys were laughing, too, on the podcast. But then you think about it afterwards, you're like, man, it, it, it's not funny, you know, but it's just the way Keith does it. You know, it's it's almost you feel bad for laughing. Um, I'm sure some people who are not into true crime think the whole thing's you know, is just insane. Uh, but it does have a dark, twisted sense of humor. Um, some people enjoy it. Some people don't. Uh, but anyway, it is what it is. Uh, so I appreciate everybody. Uh, again, thanks for the likes and the shares and the, and the comments and the posts. And it's all been positive. It's been great. Uh, again, keep sharing. Get the word out. Uh, everybody you know might be into true crime and uh, or likes horror movies and any kind of genre, um, whether it be spooky stuff or the true crime stuff, detective stuff, the ID channel stuff. Uh, mention the podcast. Mention my name. Uh, get them over to my Instagram, to TikTok, to Twitter, Facebook. Um, this is the lighter side of serial killers. And it's cool. This for the hell of it. I Googled, I put Keith Jesperson podcast because he's done you know a lot of things over the years. He's been incarcerated for decades. And my podcast with, I should say our podcast, this is our podcast, um, I think it was like number 12 on the Google search. Just Keith Jesperson podcast. We're up to, I think, number 12. That's pretty freaking amazing. Of all, all these years of all these people talking to him. And I'm the twelfth search. Um, so start googling it. You know that way maybe we'll move up to like number ten. <laughs> get that at number one spot. Um, so again, keep sharing the podcast. That's what it's all about. Um, get the word out there. Uh, we got uh, Haddon Clark coming up soon, which is going to be great. 
Um, so I'm losing my voice a little bit. Like I said, I was talking two hours last night uh, with some friends on a podcast, so my voice is about done. Uh, so anyway, thanks for all the support, and until next time, see ya.